Uh, so I know it's possible that maybe we haven't met yet. I'm Michael Van Gorp, the student pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity this morning to fill in for Pastor Jeff. And I'm, so, I'm excited to see how God's going to speak to us through his word. Uh, but I do, I do feel like I have to warn you, though. Um, the last time I preached on a Sunday, I think it was March 5th, 2020, uh, and it was the last Sunday before we went into a global pandemic. So I, let's just not turn on the news tomorrow, just wake up and act like everything's normal and then we'll just act like nothing happened. And I think we'll, we'll be all right. Uh, before we jump into the word this morning, I do wanna take a second and thank you for praying for us uh, for student camp we had a couple weeks ago. Our students had a great time. Uh, we had one student that accepted Christ, which is awesome. Yeah. And we had, we had three others that made serious rededications, uh, so that was awesome to see as well. And then just as a whole group, I felt like our students came together. Our theme was community uh, with the bold on unity. Uh, so it's, we, the whole week we kind of focused on this idea of real Christian community is based on unity in the gospel. Uh, when we can come together around that common theme of understanding who we are in Christ, there's nothing that can keep us from being separated from one another. So I, I really saw our group come together that week and I'm, I'm excited to see how God's gonna use that, not only in this next school year, but in years to come as well. Uh, so I also wanted to give a shout out to VBS. Who's wearing their shirts today? Yeah, there you are. Okay, so we had VBS this last week. Kathy and the 122 volunteers Uh, did a great job. VBS was a huge success. Uh, we've been hearing messages from people that aren't a part of our church just talking about uh, what a great job they did. So I'm, I'm excited for that. We had over 250 kids attend and several made decisions for Christ. So we're looking forward to seeing, we're following up, but we're looking forward to see how, how God continues to work with those seeds that were planted. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into our scripture today. Uh, we're gonna be in Matthew 7. If you'd like to go ahead and find that, uh, I'm going to set it up for us, but that way you can go ahead and find the scripture and be ready to go when we get there. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to camp on verse 1 because that's going to be our verse that's our out of context verse this morning, but we're going to be kind of looking at the whole chapter, little bits and pieces to see what our context is. So let me, let me set this up for us. I think we've all at some point been in a conversation with someone, usually a loved one, uh, or at least someone we care about, right? Maybe we don't love them that much, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but where, where we have pointed out that there is something going on in their lives that we see that's leading them on the wrong path. Uh, maybe that's a, a behavior. Maybe we, we caught them doing something. Uh, maybe it's just that they, they haven't been living for Christ and it's very obvious and there's, there's been things going on. But because we love them, we wanted, to, we wanted to go to them and have this conversation about how we can keep them uh, from getting arrested, going to prison, getting hurt, and just have a better life in Christ because Christ has a better life to offer. So what do we do? We do our research. We look up the Bible verses that we need. Uh, we, we watch the videos on YouTube so that we understand the topic that we were gonna be talking about. And we're ready to tell them the truth and have that discussion. The time arises, the time comes, we have that sit down, we decide to have it over lunch in public. That way, in case they want to strangle you, they can't. 
right? So we go, we have, we're, we have this reservation all picked out. We're gonna have lunch paid for. Everything's gonna be great. You sit down, everything's going good, and you lovingly share your heart. And I mean, you're not expecting a medal, but I mean, you did a pretty good job. So we'll see what happens. And there's a brief pause, and the person looks up from their food that they wanna spit at you, and they tell you, who do you think you are? You can't tell me what to do. You have no right to judge me. And better yet, that Bible that you believe in, that Bible that that you cling to, the Bible that you're trying to throw at me right now, doesn't Jesus say to not judge? Not prepared to have that discussion because you had prepared for a different one We pay for the meal, we apologize, and we get out of there as quickly as possible because we've been embarrassed. You're pretty sure that the people next to you are your neighbors and they heard your conversation. Everything's really uncomfortable. And you felt like it didn't go anywhere. And then you leave having these questions. Is this really what the Bible says? Because you look it up on your phone. I mean, you get it out. You're like, okay, Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged. You start thinking to yourself, well, what, what does that mean? Am I, does that mean I can never say anything is right or wrong? I mean, we can see how out of context, right, this verse can be taken and misinterpreted in ways that could be used as a weapon just to get us to be quiet. But in context, hopefully today, what we'll see together is that that's maybe not what Jesus intended for that to mean. So let's, let's go there. Matthew 7, verse 1. Let's read it again. Judge not that you be not judged. So what's the context? Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's important to know who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus talking to? Well, he's talking to his disciples. Jesus is trying to lay out a way to live that's different than how the world lives. He's trying, he makes comparisons. He says, the Pharisees do this, you do it this way. The rulers of the Gentiles do this, you do it this way. So he's making comparisons. He's talking to his disciples. There's a big crowd that's gathered to listen, but he's, he's speaking to those that wanna follow him. This is how you live, not like this, like this. So when we look at the context, we need to read this as believers. We need to read this as his disciples. That's the key to this. Not to be used as a weapon against us, but that Jesus is trying to teach us something. So how do we know that this isn't saying what what people may think it says? So first off, we need to look, like I said, right back at verse one. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. I feel like that is a judgment. So could you then turn that around and go, hey, Jesus, quit judging me for judging me or quit judging me for judging. So obviously there's something that's not quite lining up here because if if judging was a sin, then therefore Jesus self-admittedly sins. And we know that's not true. So let's keep looking. What else happens in the rest of chapter seven? In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, 
do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, that calling someone a dog or a pig seems to be a judgment of sorts. So Jesus makes another judgment. He compares to dogs and pigs and he wants us to be able to make this distinction as well so that we can protect ourselves. So not only does Jesus then make another judgment, he then shows us as well. Let's keep going. It gets more interesting. Verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize or make a judgment of them by their fruits. So once again, just a little bit further in the chapter, Jesus is telling us how to recognize false prophets. They're not sheep, they're wolves. Have you ever seen a picture of a sheep and a wolf? They're not the same. They're different. I know, big concept, right? But they're different. He's trying to see that there's a judgment that we need to make. Grapes, thorns, they're different. Figs, thistles, healthy, dead. All these are recognitions. They're judgments that we should be able to make. And lastly, I save this one for last because it's a little interesting. In verse two, it says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So Jesus is saying here that God the Father is going to judge as well. So once again, if we take our same concept, if sin, if it's a sin to judge, then therefore what we're saying is that God is sinning by judging. And we know that's not true. So therefore, because of the context of this scripture, we can tell that whenever people try to throw at us, hey, the Bible says to judge not, so you can't judge me. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So when we look at context, it's clear that what the world thinks is incorrect. And in the great words of the great theologian Inigo Montoya, Princess Bride fans, anybody? <laughs> you keep using that word, judge. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's the case. It's, it's used so much that it's kind of changed its meaning, but it's not the intended meaning of Scripture. But what is? We have to dig in there to get what we need to know as disciples. So the first thing that we can learn from this as disciples is that followers of Jesus, because we see in the context, can discern truth based on the Word of God. As followers of Jesus, we can discern truth based on the Word of God. People can't say, well, you just don't know truth, it's not there. There is truth and we can know it. There is a standard of truth and we can know it to some degree and we should apply it to our lives and our world. So not only can we know it, but we have to apply it to our lives, make it change us. And then we also need to live it out in the world. We can't just keep it to ourselves. 
So we need to know what is the truth. Well, all we have to do is look at Psalm 119, 160, which says this, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So what is truth? It's God's word. When Jesus came into the world in John 1, we realized that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name was Jesus. The word, Jesus, was the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and a life no one comes to the Father except by me. There is truth, and we can know it when we know God's word and we know Jesus. So knowing God's word endures forever is also important because we live in what's called the postmodern world, which doesn't make any sense because it isn't modern now, but it's, so is that tomorrow? I don't know, it's confusing. And then what's after this? Like the post Malone modern world? I don't know. It's, that was just for the kids. Uh, so like what's, what's next, right, after that? So, but it doesn't make any sense. And in, in this world we live in, the, the general thought is this, that all truth is subjective, that you get to decide what your truth is and you can live by it and I can decide what my truth is and I can live by it and they can be opposing truths, but we're still right and we still get to go home and ignore each other. Well, what happens in a world like that? Everything descends into chaos. It's not possible to have two truth claims that mean two different things be true at the same time. I can't say it's a bird and not a bird at the same time. It either is a bird or it's not a bird. It's either a wolf or a sheep. It can't be both at the same time. But this is the world we live in. But there is an objective truth and it comes from God and his word. And we can't, on our own, in our own power, know this, but by the spirit of God, by his power, followers of Jesus must know God's word, believe God's word, and teach God's word. It's our job. It's our job. It's what we've been called to do. And in Matthew 7, 6, it makes it clear, that last part, they'll trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So know this, whenever you go out into the world and you proclaim truth, and you tell people what God's word says, you can expect to be attacked. It's not easy, but it's not an option. So we know this, we, we know that, yes, there is a truth, yes, there is something that we can base our understanding of things on, but we still have to deal with judge not, right? We still have to do with this, deal with this first verse in our passage, judge not that you be not judged. So what does Jesus mean? Point number two this morning, we, we know that this means that followers of Jesus cannot condemn people. We cannot condemn people. Yes, we can know right or wrong based on God's word, but ultimately we cannot condemn people. We can't be the final judge of people. 
As I said earlier, the Sermon on the Mount was intended to help the disciples understand and live differently compared to the different people of the day. So who is Jesus trying to help us to understand and compare against here? He's trying to help us to see that the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, were the ones that were going out and basing people and judging people based on the way they appeared and their sin patterns. And Jesus wanted us to live differently than that. See, the Pharisees, they did this. They judged a book by its cover. They condemned people based on their appearance. They would see handicapped people in the street that were born that way. And the questions they asked were, who sinned? This person or their parents? Because obviously it was a judgment. Obviously. That's the only thing that they could come up with. They would ridicule Jesus because he would eat with sinners and tax collectors. And they would go to the disciples. Do you know that your teacher, why does your teacher eat with those people? See, they, they had already judged and condemned these people. To the Pharisees, they weren't, they weren't capable of earning God's favor and grace. They were already way beyond, beyond that. They stood condemned with no hope. But they, on the other hand, the Pharisees, they kept the law, at least good enough. They devoted their lives to the temple and the people. If anybody earned God's favor, it was them. What, is, what does scripture say about earning God's favor? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. They failed to understand that salvation was only possible because of God's grace. They couldn't earn it. Neither could the sinners and tax collectors. Neither can we. It's a gift. It's easy to look at Scripture, though, and, and make the Pharisees the villains. Because, we, I mean, we, we watch TV. We see the shows. There's the good guys and the bad guys. So when we read Scripture, we look at the Pharisees and we go, oh, there's the bad guys. Here they come. They're gonna have all their weird questions. But when we look at any person and think, you're beyond the grace of God. You're too far gone. When we, when we ever write somebody off and dismiss them, we have aligned ourselves with the Pharisees. When we see that person who's done that sin, that one thing that you just can't stand, they're too far gone. N nothing can save them now. What does Jesus have to say about this heart and this attitude? Go back to verse two. For with the judgment you pronounce, with the judgment of works, you will be judged by your works. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, if you want to judge people based on their works, 
I'll judge you based on your works, and we'll see what happens. We'll see how that works out for you. And as we all know that none of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us could ever measure up. That's the whole point. Jesus is trying to get us to lean in and understand God's grace. This is one of my biggest fears for the church. As I was preparing this sermon and thinking through these things, I just couldn't help but think about the church today. That there's so many people who claim to be Christians. They, they come to church on Sunday. They show up on Wednesday. Uh, they, they're at the potluck. Uh, they're, at, they're at the bing bag toss extravaganza, palooza, I don't know, whatever. They, they come to everything. They've grown up in the church. They've been raised in the church. They were born in the church. I see these things all the time. We do... We have people share their testimonies on applications for serving in the student ministry. And as they, you know, I was born and raised in the church. Well, that's kind of odd. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the mentality we take. And sometimes I'm fearful that we have taken on this mindset that if we just feel like we could be good enough for long enough, when we get to that age of retirement, our prayers then are not centered around the things of God, but then they become, God, thank you for making me who I am. Maybe we even take on that attitude of, God, aren't you so glad that I'm a part of your team? And the risk we run, the warning that Jesus has for us is this, is that if our heart is based on our works and we want to judge others on their works, then possibly we're not standing forgiven in grace, but perhaps we stand condemned in our pride. So we have to be careful that as followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we cannot condemn people that's not up to us. One of my favorite people in all scripture, Paul. If you think of anybody that should have been condemned, it should be the person that was killing Christians. But then God transformed him. And he was used to write so much of the New Testament. He was a missionary that began the church in so many different places and reached out to the Gentiles. And if it wasn't for him, then we wouldn't be here today because of the work that God did through him. Somebody that the world would write off and say, there's no way, there's no way. There's one last thing I wanna, I wanna mention in this scripture though. Uh, so not only do we, not only do we get the, the truth, not only are we able to discern the truth, not only are we not supposed to condemn people, but Jesus doesn't just say, don't do this. He gives us a way to love people differently. So followers of Jesus should love differently. And I broke this down into in the two categories, the lost and our brothers and sisters. So how do we love the lost differently? Well, we, our love starts with humility. It's that understanding that we're saved by grace, that there's nothing that we could do and we're constantly in need and relied upon the grace, mercy, and kindness just as much as everyone else. When we start there, then we're able to move into the world 
with this balance of grace and truth because we've been redeemed by grace and we've been given truth. So that way we can walk into the world. What happens a lot is we walk out imbalanced because we haven't started with our own humility. So then we walk out with the hammer of truth, but with no grace. Oh, and if you give a kid a hammer, they're gonna swing it at something. And we're the same way. If you give us the hammer of truth, we, if we're not careful, we can shatter a lot of glass and do a lot of damage in people's lives. But the opposite can be true. Maybe we enter into the world with way too much grace without a base in truth. And what happens? Oh, you're so wonderful. You just be you. Do what you want. And see, we miss out on the opportunity to give the life-giving information that they may need to be saved. So we need to have the balance of grace and truth when we go out to the world. We need to truly love sinners and hate sin. I know it's cliche. You know why it's cliche? Because we say it, but we don't do it. But we kind of do. You wake up every morning and you look in the mirror. I'm sure you have no problem loving yourself, a sinner, but you hate your sin. So what keeps us from extending that same grace and kindness to other people? And back to verse six, we may look at verse six and go, oh, that's our opportunity when we could just quit loving people. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw the pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So when we look at that, we go, okay, well, Jesus is saying that there's some people that are just beyond saving. Well, that would be contradictory. So what's Jesus really saying? He's saying, he's giving us a way to recognize lostness. When you speak truth to somebody, and they reject it, and they trample it, and they attack you. It's because they haven't been transformed by the gospel. So when we, when we recognize lostness, then we can move in with the gospel. So verse six doesn't tell us to give up on people. What verse six does is it gives us the opportunity to recognize lostness and move in with the gospel. That's it. See, think about it this way. We're in the Bible, we're talked about like sheep. What do sheep need? They need a shepherd. Sheep need green pastures. Do pigs want a shepherd? Do pigs like green pastures? What about dogs? I mean, maybe some dogs like the pastures, but they're not, they're not gonna want a shepherd. So what Jesus is helping us to see here is that what they don't need is truth yet. What they need first is transformation. Dogs and pigs can't be forced to be sheep. It doesn't work that way. But they can be transformed into sheep by the gospel. So that's how we love the lost. What about our brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus has the answer for that too in verses three through five. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So guess what? When we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it has to start with humility as well. It always starts with humility. We have to deal with our own sin first. We have to deal with our own log. If we're not willing to deal with our own sin, then we have no reason or or no capability to help others with theirs. So we have to be willing to take off our masks and deal with our sin. And then from there, we have to be always willing to help restore one another. Help them out, help them see the truth, help, help draw them back in. See, I can say this because I'm almost 30. My generation, so that means I can talk about my generation how I want to. So what, what, I, what I see so often in my generation, and it's not just them, but it's, it's definitely an issue, is that we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ well in this area. We, we, don't, we don't go off searching for the wandering sheep like we should. Why? Because we get too busy. We get too busy. We have another vacation, another kid's activity, another thing at the school. The list adds up. and We're too busy to recognize that there's other people around us. Not only that, but we get so consumed with chasing after the things of the world and we get so busy wanting to brag about it on social media and show off all the awesome things that we're doing that the people around us, the other followers, our friends, we let them wander off and get destroyed by sin. We have to take a stand and say that we love each other too much to let each other wander. We have to. We have to. Think about your life group that you're plugged in right now. How many of those people that a year ago or a year and a half ago before everything started were engaged and involved in your life group that have since wandered off? How have we gone searching for the one? We have to love each other better. If we, if we can't love each other, then how can we love the lost? It all works together. So as, as I close this morning, what I want to do is I just want us to take this moment, and I know that Maybe even as I was speaking, because as I was preparing this, I know that this is what God was doing. He was putting people on my heart, people that I know that are lost. And I was caught in this dilemma where I had to answer the question, have I given up on them? Have I written them off? Have I, have I decided that they are beyond the grace of God? And then I also had to ask, what have I done to love my brothers and sisters? Who has wandered that I haven't gone searching for? 
So as we pray, I just want you to, to ask God to, to tell you who those people are, that he would put those people on your heart, that you may chase after them in grace and truth.